Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners, we got a special one for you here. And I know I say that all the time, but this really is like nothing else we've ever brought to you. So here's the deal. The conversation you're about to listen in on was an interview I just did earlier today with a gentleman named Joe Polish. Joe is going to be a featured contributor at our Entrepreneur Day coming up next month, bestyoureverlive.com. Check it out if you have not picked up your tickets yet, bestyoureverlive.com. November 17th is our Entrepreneur Day. And then the 18th and 19th is our fourth annual Best Year Ever event. He's going to blow people away. Now, if you've heard of Joe Polish, you might know that he really is a legend as a marketer. He's also become known as a connector of all connectors. He can count folks like Tony Robbins and Peter Diamandis and Tim Ferriss and Richard Branson. The list just goes on as acquaintances of his. However... What you're about to listen in on is really Joe's personal story. And this is raw. This is authentic. It's as real as it gets. You're going to hear Joe talk about his childhood and some trauma that he faced and how it led to his addiction, addiction to drugs, amongst many other things, and how he fought through that addiction and how he came out on the other side in such a positive way. And I'd love to hear your reactions to meeting Joe right now. I'll tell you my reaction. You know, I've already admired him for being really an epic, epic entrepreneur. I know that his marketing advice has led to billions of dollars of value for his clients. But this conversation today allowed me to get a glimpse into who Joe is in a way where what I really left with was not just an appreciation for an entrepreneur, but for a human being who's driven by a purpose and who is willing to help others battling some of the toughest battles they might ever face. So I really hope you enjoy this. And for all of you that will be in San Diego next month, you'll get to meet Joe firsthand as this conversation today gets continued. Enjoy everybody. Take care. Hey, I'm here with someone who was like a hero of mine 15 years ago, and I've gotten reconnected with Joe Polish through Hal. And I'm about to meet Joe live in front of all of you. So you just get to see our first conversation. So Joe... Hey, welcome to the Miracle Morning Community. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, great to be here with you, John. I've been a follower from afar, as I just said, for quite a while of the work that you do. I know you've got a background in marketing. You have the Genius Network, which we could talk all about these things. You have a passion for helping entrepreneurs in recovery. I've also come to notice just through what I've heard about Hal and what I've heard about others who are part of your network that you've got a passion for connecting people to ideas that are going to make a big impact in the world. It's not just about helping people to grow their bottom line. So selfishly, I love uh, everything that I've heard about. And now here I get to hear directly from you, which is even better. So um, again, thanks for being here. And my understanding, just correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is you're going to be at our Best Year Ever Blueprint event in three weeks or four weeks. Is that right? I will be there presenting. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Well, Joe, uh, where to start? So I'll throw a question up there. And as I've said to guests before, 
you really can start wherever you want. You can ignore my question and you can go wherever you want. But you know, for me and for our community, many of them might know of you, but those who are like me who haven't connected or followed you for a long time, tell us about the Joe Polish journey in a nutshell. How did you get from wherever you were to wherever you are today? Who is Joe well, Polish? You know, there, there's, there's the business aspects of it, like how did I start and grow a business? And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, but how did I get into um, what I'm doing today with the things related to addiction and, and recovery? Most people do what they do based on some sort of life experience with it. And I certainly, gr- growing up, the short version of my childhood was uh, my mother passed away when I was four years old from uh, cancer. She was a former nun. She had left the convent because she had gotten ill. And she uh, ended up, she was still very, uh, very Catholic. Uh, but she wrote some of the very first books teaching children how to read using the phonetic method. And I grew up going to Catholic school. Now, uh, how that relates to my my life is that my father never remarried. He, he lost the love of his life. He was very tormented. So we moved around our entire childhood every couple of years. And so I was a very shy, introverted kid. Uh, as soon as I started establishing some relationships, which was always difficult for me to do, uh, we would uproot and we would move somewhere else. So uh, I don't remember much of my childhood being very happy. It was mostly scary. And uh, I was molested as a kid. I was paid money not to say anything about it. That, uh, And this was from you know someone that I, I knew. And that was very traumatizing. I didn't know how to process that when you're between the ages of eight to 10 years old. Um, but what it did is it left some deep shame, some, uh, you know, Definitely no self-esteem, low self-esteem, uh, a sense of the world is not safe. You can't trust anyone. And so uh, as a teenager, I became uh, a heavy user of drugs. So mm. it started off yeah. getting high, smoking pot daily. Uh, back then, uh, I used to keep a bong in my locker in high school. I mean, it was kind of crazy. It's much harder <laughs> to pull that stuff off in most high schools today. But uh, and, and good thing they didn't have smartphones and cameras and things because some of the stuff that would have been captured on video back then would have been uh, horrendous. So, uh, but basically, I uh, that led to harder drugs. I started uh, taking speed. Um, snorting crystal meth, snorting cocaine. And then by the time I was 18 years old, I was freebasing cocaine. I was smoking coke. And at my worst state, I weighed 105 pounds uh, when I was 18 years old. And being a male that's 5'10", you can imagine that is pretty skinny. So I nearly died uh, from just the the sheer amount of drugs that I was doing. And I looked in the mirror uh, and saw a skeleton. I mean, basically, I was just so... uh, just badly addicted. And through, when you're in that sort of situation in life, everyone you're hanging out with, your whole circle is around the the addiction. And, you know, people tend to hang out with, you know, if you're a successful person, you tend to hang out with successful people, whatever, you know, we'll define my version of what I think success is because people usually think of it as money. But I know a lot of people that are, you know, very wealthy that aren't, aren't very happy. And I certainly have learned, you know, I run a multi-million dollar company now. Uh, however, uh, back then it was just, you know, just a lot of pain. And so I used, I used the drugs as a, as a form of escape. And so uh, I, I was in a bad situation. I was living with very dangerous and toxic roommates. And one day I just left because if I knew if I didn't, I would, I would probably not be around very long. And I, 
Dwayne lived in a trailer for a couple of years in uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, started going to college, but I never got a degree in anything, but I got clean and I got sober and I got a, a job at a health club and I started selling gym memberships and I became very good. And I started exercising for the first time because growing up, I was never into sports because uh, around the same time that I, uh, you know, was getting molested, I actually uh, had a, a sadistic little league coach that would force me to hold the baseball bat in a certain way where I couldn't hit the ball. Uh, if I leaned the bat back, I could hit the ball, but he would force me to try to hold it upright as if I was using wrong form. And I, it, it, I, couldn't, I couldn't play the game that way. I, could, I couldn't hit the ball. And so I quit. And I was this skinny, shy kid, and all the other kids on the little league uh, team would started bullying me and making fun of me and literally trying to beat me up. And it just created this uh, dislike of sports. And so I never to this day have been a big sports fan. I don't dislike sports, but I've never been a big follower of it. Although it's funny is I have a lot of personal friends that are professional NFL players. And then, you know, so now what I do for a living, I know all kinds of people. Um, so you know, that sort of stuff was, was going on. And so when I, when I moved away and I got clean and I started selling, I realized, well, you know, there's more money in selling than there is in non-selling activities, right? Huh, yeah. But it didn't teach me anything about being an entrepreneur yet. What it did teach me, though, is how to actually start thinking about selling, starting to, you know, look at uh, getting ahead. Now, I, I ended up meeting a guy at the gym who uh, ran a mental hospital and uh, he ended, they ended up hiring me and I became a mental health tech. And so when I was working at this mental hospital, I would end up driving uh, some of the patients to AA meetings and NA meetings, which is Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. And I would sit in on those meetings, not realizing how beneficial that was going to become to me in my life and later in life. So after a couple of years, no degree in college, I moved back to Arizona and I you know, kind of got involved in just trying to figure out how to make a business, uh, you know, even thinking about business. And so I tried a couple of things that I failed at. And I won't give you the whole long story because there was a lot of crazy shit that still went down when I came back to Arizona. <laughs> but what, what ended up happening, though, is I had a friend from high school who uh, talked me into starting a carpet cleaning business with him. And I had saved up money from when I was in New Mexico. One thing I did leave out is when I was... Uh, when I was there, before I got a job at a health club, I actually delivered papers in a truck because they had adults that would have like deliver physical newspapers and they would drive around neighborhoods. And that was my first job right when I got to New Mexico because, you know, I mean, I was used to staying up all night anyway because I used to do drugs. <laughs> so, uh, that, you know, that was You're my preparing. First. You didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I did save up a couple thousand dollars and I came back to Arizona and I ended up, uh, you know, starting a carpet cleaning company. And uh, what ended up happening was uh, it was very hard. And after a couple of months of having a partnership with my friend, I took him off the bank account because he was basically getting drunk and high every night. And I, here I was, you know, sober and uh, just trying to make this business work. So for two years, I struggled with a, a small carpet cleaning business and I went into debt. I went about $30,000 in debt on credit cards because, damn it, there was something inside of me that just wanted to be a business owner, you know. And, and, and it's, it's hard to explain what that is. People are like, you know, what did you do? How did you figure it out? You know, you, 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 you get bloodied, you bumble your way through life. You have no clue what you're doing. I mean, that's how some people figure it out. And given the choice of eating or starving, most people don't starve. And so 
I was uh, stuck with this, you know, uh, equipment, a business card that says I was a professional and I was frustrated. So uh, one of the things I started doing, uh, because I had another friend from high school, back then I still had in my early 20s, I had relationships with people out of out of high school. Now there's very few people that I uh, went to high school with that I have in my life, only a, a couple that I still, you know, will see on a semi-regular basis. And, and by the way, I'm, I, I need to mention that, and the reason I bring this up is not because, look, I mean, everyone has their own cross to bear. Uh, you know, I live in America. I live in a great country. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not starving in some third world country. There's people that have dealt with things that are so horrendous that I couldn't even imagine. And so when I say things, it's not because, oh, poor me or whatever. I mean, we all have struggles and challenges in our life. I just want to offer some perspective that I didn't just become born into what I do today and running a, you know, what a lot of people consider a very, you know, successful company. And I know a lot of, you know, quote unquote, famous and successful people. There was a a path in a process in a lot of mistakes and things that led to it. So I'll do my best as we talk here to kind of share what can be useful and also give people perspective that if you feel like your life is not working, uh, there are parts of your life that aren't working and there are parts of your life that are. And most progress comes out of things that don't work because there's parts of life that don't work and there are parts of life that do work. And if your life always worked, if everyone, everything was always functional, uh, people wouldn't even know what happiness is. People wouldn't even know what contrast is. So most, uh, most great things come out of adversity and they come out of struggle if you're able to transform pain into progress, if you're able to learn the lessons, if you're able to course correct and, you know, having your heart broken and going bankrupt and struggling and having challenges, most of the people that have made the most progress in life, if you really look at their lives, there's always been pain points. There's always been things that they've had to go through. So I talk about it simply uh, to give perspective. And I, I recently gave a, a talk in, uh, in front of a lot of people. And I asked the room, I said, and I'll come back to what I was saying. I jump around a lot, so but I can track it. Not the first time on the Achieve Your Goals podcast. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> You're dealing with crazy entrepreneurs all the time. They're all like, all <laughs> it's part of the deal for some of them. So I, I asked the room, I go, how many of you are worth a million dollars? And, uh, you know, a couple of people yeah. raised their hand. I'm like, uh, you know, how many of you are worth a billion dollars? No one raises their hand. And I said, you know, how many of you in the audience here would, uh, you know, give me your eyeballs right now for a million dollars. Anyone just maybe hand over those eyeballs you got and no one raised their hand. I'm like anyone give me their, you know, eyeballs for a billion dollars. No one raised their hand. I'm like, well, what about your thumbs? Maybe you just whack off those thumbs and give me your thumbs or maybe, <laughs> you know, pull out your tongue and just chop off your tongue and give me, or maybe your ankle is worth a million dollars, but anyone. And now all of a sudden, you know, people are always like, what the hell is this guy saying? But I'm like, well, you know, if you wouldn't give a million dollars for your eyeballs, uh, you kind of like these things. The fact that you can see, I mean, imagine someone that has to get through life without hearing, without the ability to talk or someone that's Mm. blind. You know, people forget just how resourceful they are with what they're sitting on. And you, you know, you look at a guy like Hal, right, who has just gone through some incredible, uh, you know, health challenges. And, you know, and so you're talking about goals and achievement on the podcast here. Uh, there's that whole saying that he who has their health has a thousand dreams or a thousand goals. He who does not have their health has only one. Mm-hmm. And so if you're laid up in a hospital bed, 
you're, you know, you, you're not going to be aspirational. You're, you're focused on surviving. And if you're such in, in physical pain or mental pain, that's very challenging. And so part of it is uh, when you are in a place where you can get up and you can function throughout the day uh, and you're not in deep physical pain, if you're in debt, okay, great. You still have, you know, you have debt, but you, you know, it's a challenge. It's, but it's also an opportunity. And a lot of times people will magnify just how difficult things are. And I have a friend, Dave Kekich, who's been in a wheelchair for over 35 years in his life. And he says, you know, things are seldom as bleak as they seem when they're going wrong or seldom as great as they seem when they're going well, lighten up a little longer. And, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He, he cannot, he can't have sex. He cannot walk. He, I mean, it takes him an hour to set up things in order for his body to be able to use the restroom, right? And most people don't have to deal with that sort of stuff. So when you see people that have gone through incredible adversity, that's why, you know, one of the main reasons that I, I like Hal is not just the miracle morning and the fact that he is a motivating guy and an incredible speaker, because he's all that. It's when you see someone that has to have, be faced with shit that can kill you physically, mentally, spiritually, and, and you question, like, why? And you can still maintain that attitude. You can still work. You can still believe. I mean, that's someone to really admire and really to look up to because anyone that has their life together or doesn't have a lot of challenges can pontificate about self-help stuff and about how you know, go and make, you know, I see a lot of these young people that they finally start making a little bit of money and they think, you know, it's like the whole, you know, or, or someone who's born into it, you know, they're born on third base and they think they hit a triple, you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of stuff. And so like, I like people that have been through the shit I, and I like seeing how they transformed it because to me that, that, that's inspirational. Not, and I'm not saying that everyone Believe me, I'm not trying to tell people their lives should have train wrecks in order for them to be successful. As a matter of fact, hopefully I can help people avoid some of the, the craziness. The fact is, though, if you're going through a hard time wherever you're at, and everyone here is, silent battles are the hardest things to fight. And it, as my friend Joe Stump has really helped me get uh, a lot of perspective on, in order to have public victories, you usually have to have a lot of private uh, victories. And so the, the pain and the difficulties and the challenges are actually the prerequisites for you having great success. People yeah. think, why can't my life work? Well, if your life is kind of fucked up right now, in that fucked upness, uh, and hopefully it's okay for me to use this language, yeah. there actually is, is the seeds for you to transform something if you don't try to do it alone. You know, so the three-step worry plan by my buddy, Ned Hollowell, you know, don't worry alone, get the facts, and have a plan. You know, so for instance, if you have cancer, don't worry about it alone. Get the facts. Figure out what's going on with you and then have a plan. Create a plan. And so that's why communities are important. I know that, you know, people are listening to me on a community right now. And whatever that community is, online, you know, in person is the very best way that you can connect. Uh, but that's that's all very valuable. So let me go let me go back to my story of what was the transformation for me. So here I had this carpet cleaning business. I was struggling, but I really wanted to make it work. And I had a friend from high school named Pat. Uh, and, and so he called me up and he's like, would you like to go on a jet skiing this weekend? And I said, when you're broke, you don't have any discretionary income. So I was like, well, I really can't, uh, you know, go this weekend. I have a lot of work to do. And that of course was sort of my 
uh, protection of I don't really have any money and I'm in debt and I'm trying to figure out how to get out of this. And I would love to go jet skiing, but I, you know, it's kind of hard to do when you're broke and you can barely, you know, pay for, for food. And so uh, he said to me, well, the, the guy that owns the jet skis is a multimillion dollar real estate investor. And so that piqued my interest. Oh, there's some wealthy guy. Maybe I can go talk to this, this dude. So I agreed to go on the jet ski trip and I live in Arizona and I drove out in this beat up pickup truck that I had to Segura Lake. And there was uh, this guy that was the, the the wealthy real estate investor, my buddy Pat, and then this other guy, this, this real estate guy's friend. And there were two jet skis. So I finally had an opportunity to sit on the tailgate uh, of the pickup truck talking to this wealthy real estate investor who I knew nothing about other than, you know, what I'd heard from Pat. And I said to him, uh, you know, I hear you do really well in business and I have a, you know, a small carpet cleaning business and I've been doing it uh, for a while. I'm trained, I'm certified, um, but it's a really hard business. And I'm wondering if you have any advice that you could give me on uh, what other sort of business or industry I can go into, I can make more money. And he said, well, there are other people in your business uh, making Money And I said, well, yeah, there's a couple of companies in Phoenix that make over a million dollars a year. And to me at the time, you know, it was a lot of money. And he goes, well, if there's other people that are making money in your business and you're not, there's nothing wrong with the, the business you're in. There's something wrong with you. And I was like, well, no, no. Like a lot of these people have, you know, they're established. They've been around for a long time. Uh, you know, they, they have uh, employees and, you know, they, they, they've been established. And, and a lot of them use uh, bait and switch advertising where they advertise a low price to get in people's houses. And then they do high pressure selling and I don't operate that way. And it's just a really hard business. And he said, well, young man, he goes, you're like most people. You think the grass is always greener on the other side. And he said, what you need to do is uh, you need to learn fundamental business skills. He goes, because if you go into another industry, you're going to spend another six months, another year, another two years learning the technical skills of another business so you can go out and repeat the same bad business habits that have caused you to be a failure in this one. And of course, what's going through my mind is like, well, this ain't the motivational speech. I'm <clears throat> you know, uh, what, what it made me realize is, well, yeah, he's right. So what he said, he said, you need to learn fundamental business skills. And he said, if you learn how to make a business work, then you can take that knowledge and you can apply it to any business. Because if you don't figure out how to make a business work, you're going to do what many people do. You're just going to keep chasing opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so that's what people do. You know, they're, oh, I'm going to go into this opportunity. You know, I mean, like you're about to see like, and you already seen it, a bunch of people that are calling themselves blockchain and cryptocurrency experts because someone bought Ethereum or block or, or, or Bitcoin or name the different types of cryptocurrencies. And they made a lot of money in a short period of time and now all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, let me buy, you know, and, and guess what? There's going to be a lot of people to get very wealthy with cryptocurrencies and with blockchain, with this new platform, which absolutely will change the world. But there's going to be, it's, it's like the gold rush days. A lot of the people that make the money are the ones selling the picks and the shovels, right? And so yeah. there, there's a lot of that sort of stuff. Uh, but the fact is there's, there's business principles and there's ways of making fake things work. And if you don't learn those fundamental skills, you can be an opportunity chaser. And so a lot of people use passion as an excuse to, oh, what am I passionate about? That's what I want to do versus like my friend, uh, you know, Cal Newport, who wrote the book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And his latest book is called Deep Work. He talks about, you know, develop a skill that is rare and valuable, do it in a certain way that, 
gives you what he calls career capital. And then once you have career capital and you're applying a skill that is very valuable, then you have control over your life. And so a lot of people that don't have control over their life, if they have not developed a skill yet that is rare and valuable, that creates value for others, they, they learn how to sell it to other people and have some sort of control. So they, they say, I want to be passionate. I want to manifest. I want, and, and look, all of that is wonderful. However, if your focus is on passion, your whole emphasis is on what value can the world bring to me because I want to do something that makes me happy versus when you focus on skills, uh, you're focusing on what value can you bring to the world. And so after that jet ski trip, what I did is I drove away, sunburnt as hell, but there was a thought that went on in my mind. You know, I'm not the brightest person in the world. And then let me back up also. I, w- I was going to a, to a community college uh, during uh, – this process and where um, I was dabbling with my business. And I was going to, and, and so I failed owning and operating a small business in Chandler Gilbert Community College. And I got a C minus in principles of marketing. Uh, <laughs> I show my actual report card to people when I speak. And I'll actually, I'll do it at the uh, event that I'm speaking at with you guys um, just to show people that, yeah, I didn't, I'm not making this up. This is my real report card. And the, the, the fact is I now run the highest level uh, marketing group in the entire world, you know, where people pay $25,000 a year for Genius Network or $100,000 a year for, um, you know, Genius X, which is my $100,000 person group. And almost all my clients are running multi-million dollar companies. So uh, you can learn stuff, but it's not going to be instantly. And there's a great uh, Bill Gates quote, which is, says many people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And so one of the things I I learned from that jet ski trip is one, I'm 100% responsible for my success in life. If other people are doing something that I want to do and they're having success, it's not the thing that's the problem. It's how I'm going about the thing. It's how I'm understanding the thing. There's a book that was written uh, years ago uh, called The Book of Survival by a guy named Anthony Greenback. And there's a, a quote, and I remember quotes and dirty jokes. That's how my brain works. It's weird. But <laughs> he basically said that uh, in order to get through an impossible situation, you don't, and I may say this wrong, but you know, in order to get through an impossible situation, you don't need the reflexes of a Grand Prix driver, the mind of an Einstein, the muscles of a Hercules. You simply need to know what to do. And so, whenever we're in situations that seem impossible, but other people have figured it out, it's because they they figured out what to do. They know what to do. So uh, the you know, there's a lot of people that uh, thought leaders. Well, any idiot can have a thought. Okay. I'm interested in result leaders, right? Now, I understand the term thought leaders, and I'll use it once in a while when people ask the question because it's, it, there's these business buzzwords like monetize. Well, that means make money or pivot. That means the shit you were doing before wasn't working, so let's change direction. So there's all these Silicon Valley buzz terms, which totally crack me up, but, you know, it's like whatever. And so I like to, I like to make fun of it, but, you know, because it's like talk like a normal human being. Don't use $50 words. You know, you don't need to try to impress people with how smart you are. You know, frankly, I'm dumb as a box of rocks in most areas. And when God was doling out brains, most of my brains went to how to design marketing campaigns and how to connect with people and not how to figure out the rest of my life. So, you know, there's all kinds of areas where I'm utterly incompetent, but there are areas where I'm very skilled. And the skill came 
from learning. The skill came from application. The skill came from reading. The skill came from hanging out with people that were actually doing it. The skill came from uh, listening. The skill came from stopping things that weren't working and starting things that were. And most of the learning was forced upon me out of areas that didn't work. And so that's the that's the thing where if people can embrace that if you want to reach your goals, if you want to achieve that all of the crap in your life is actually the raw material for you to achieve the greater things in life. It's like manure that's going to be used as fertilizer. So don't get angry at the shit. Just redeploy it as an ingredient. Just redeploy it as an as a necessary lesson. You're you're only gonna you're only gonna fail if you fail to lose the lesson. With the caveat that you know if you get killed, you're you're dead. So there there are certain pains that become so bad you 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 typically cannot recover from them. Uh, but that's not most things, and even things that seem so. I mean, look look at how laid up in a hospital bed overcoming what he just spent, you know, the, the last year, uh, you know, and I was with Hal uh, during like a, a very difficult stage and just listening to him. And I'm like, wow, just fascinating how his, his mind is able to reinterpret and reapply uh, what he has learned from that. And then, you know, do it, do it in a, in, in a very productive, very useful way. So uh, what I ended up doing is I, left that, that jet ski trip. And I had, I had adopted the attitude that if someone else has figured out how to do this and I have not, what the hell did they learn and what are they actually doing and how can I learn it? So that put me on my journey of reading and uh, studying and realizing that I live in America. I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. I have a lot of personal problems, but I work hard. I've got my limbs. I've got, you know, a brain. It's not the greatest brain in the world, but I think there's people that seem to be dumber than me and they're a lot more successful than me. They're doing something that I don't know how to do. So I started reading and started, started studying. I still didn't have the answer to my biggest problem on how to make money yet. But what I did is I had the mindset. And until you get that sort of mindset, it's really hard. Like I could teach people, the reason I'm not talking about a bunch of marketing strategies right now is because people can listen to my podcast. I love marketing and they can learn like everything they would ever need to know and more about specific marketing techniques and all of that. But the reason most people don't have success with marketing as an example is, is they underestimate the value of it. They don't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for someone to interact and use a tool or techniques or methods or processes if they don't have a level of, of respect and honoring of it. Uh, in the same way that a person that exercises on a regular basis really has an appreciation of the value of it. So until you instill the right mindset of why something is important, you're going to look at, you know, see what, what people are not up on, they're down on. I mean, for if you tell someone, oh, I'm a, I'm a marketer, what does that mean? You're in network marketing, you're a scumbag car salesman that tries to use high pressure. And I'm not saying car salespeople are scumbags. I'm saying like the way that people create prejudices, where they'll look at certain people or certain industries where they had a bad experience and all of a sudden they think, oh, selling is bad. You know, there's this great video that uh, has been uploaded to YouTube. Uh, if you Google, and it's from me, called Is Selling Evil? If you just type is selling, is selling evil into Google, there'll be pop up, you know, several videos. 
And what it, a lot of it was like B-roll footage from where I was being interviewed for a documentary. And the guy that asked me a question is selling evil. And I just went on this three minute and 50 second rant about selling. And the guy that works for me saw this segment and he's like, huh, I'm going to upload that to YouTube and post it. And he did. And it just took off. And so now this segment has been played in university classes. Lots of um, speakers have used it. And I did it a few years ago because I talk about D- DVD players in it and stuff. But uh, the, the, the lesson, though, in it is, you know, it's all how you use it. You know, you can selling like my favorite definition of selling is getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result. So you want to paint a bigger picture for someone and you want to do it in a way that's good for them. Because if you, you can get people intellectually and emotionally engaged in eating crappy fast food, watching pornography, smoking cigarettes, doing things that are damaging, uh, but that's not good for people. Or you can use it to, you know, Martin Luther King was an incredible salesperson. Mother Teresa, John F. Kennedy, some of the greatest movements in the world, people had to persuade others. They had to enroll them. So think of selling as influence and think of marketing as storytelling. And until I became good at sales, until I became good at marketing, I first had to sell myself. And the number one person that you have to wake up every day and do a sales job on is yourself. And that's why you're doing things like this podcast. This is, it's like trying to bring, and there's different ways, you know, you're going to have some people you talk to that are going to be super motivational, super positive. And then you have people like me that kind of are, are mixed in between that will, you know, talk about different stuff. But at the end of the day, whatever is going to help um, guide you, direct you and give you sort of a context on how to think about your thinking. Uh, that's, that's what allows you to, you know, to, to, to actually go and progress. So, uh, but here I was, I had this carpet cleaning business. I didn't yet learn how to market. And a friend gave me a newsletter about marketing uh, written by a guy named Gary Halbert. And I read this newsletter and uh, there was a term that Gary used, uh, which was can and clone yourself. And what I learned is that selling is what you do when you're on the phone or face to face with somebody. And marketing is what you do to get yourself on the phone, uh, to get someone on the phone or face to face with you properly positioned. Because uh, if they're positioned right, then they're going to be pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, and predisposed to give you money. So instead of advertising price, which most people in, in that business were doing, including very low prices, let's make it sound so unbelievable. Then we'll use a really low price. Then we're, we have to go into a home and do high-pressure selling and be basically annoying as hell uh, in order to try to sell our services. And I, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. So I was struggling because I wasn't going to advertise, you know, bait and switch. I wasn't going to do that stuff, but I was trained. I was certified. And the painful lesson, uh, and this is one thing I, I really like trying to get people to get, is that there's no relationship between being good and getting paid. Mm. And it's hard for people to hear that because if you're an ethical person, if you really care about people, if you work really hard, if you have good work ethics, that has very little to do not all the time, but most of the time with getting wealthy. Now you can maybe get by, you can maybe make some money, but if you want to really, you know, uh, succeed, it's, it, it's not just being good. Now you can't suck and get wealthy and have a good rep- reputation. You can suck. You can make a lot of money. You, people will probably hate you. And if you can go to bed at night, knowing that you're 
being a degenerate. I mean, you know, whatever, you have to be some sort of, uh, you know, sociopath or narcissist at a deep level in order to do that. And there are plenty of those sort of people. But if you're a good, caring, honest, helpful, useful, valuable person, whatever value you have that makes you good, you if you are good and you're a good marketer, then there's a huge relationship between getting paid. And so I was good at cleaning carpets, but I wasn't good at getting people to hire me to clean their carpets. And so the, the thing that got me to that place is marketing. And so once I started studying it, that's when my life changed. Now, I, well, not just studying it. You have to actually apply it. I mean, you know, you can, you can't go to the gym and just sit on a bench and then not, you know, lift the weights and expect any results. Cause I have been to uh, many 12 step meetings for uh, addiction and people will say 12 steps don't work. And I will say, well, what do you mean by work? Uh, it's uh, 12 steps is not an attendance program. It's a step program. So going to meetings is one part of it, but you go to meetings to learn how to do the steps. And most people that say 12 steps don't work have never actually done the steps. Mm. And People that have done the steps have had relapses and they've maybe not done them deeply or they've not stayed with it. But for the most part, if you take someone who's really gone through 12 steps and has done the actual steps and has gotten a sponsor and committed themselves, you will see that their life will improve, even if they have no addictions whatsoever. But you don't go to a gym and sit on the bench and say, gyms don't work. Well, people, well, marketing doesn't work. Well, what the hell have you actually tried? What do you actually know about it? So anyway, uh, so once I, the first thing I did to can and clone myself was I hired a copywriter and I had him write my first consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. And I started teaching people on how to make a buying decision. And once I learned that the best way to sell something to somebody effectively and ethically is teach them what they don't know that they don't know, then people will do business with you. So now I've been on a total rant and I haven't given you any opportunities to interrupt because you're very polite. But let me, let me uh, shut up and say if there's anything you want to ask or say, because I can keep rolling along if you prefer. <laughs> well, first of all, on behalf of our listeners and our viewers, let me just say thank you. And right at this moment, they're all holding my breath, hoping that I just don't do anything to get in the way of this train of genius that you're sharing. So, Joe, this is fantastic. I also want to acknowledge you. We're on the live stream and everyone knows I do this. There's some folks, Joe, that you probably can't see this, but they're thanking you. You got a lot of folks who are resonating with what you're sharing. I just want to make sure I call attention. So those of you that are calling that out, thank you. That's awesome. And actually, yeah, David's word is the word that I wrote down for the first part of your story that I just want to appreciate is I think what I hear for me is the reminder of how powerful perspective is. And I really, really appreciate that. I also want to just, I have to call this out a, a tangent. You know, I believe in synchronicity. And there's a few folks that just called this out on the chat. They're like, John, does Joe know you? Do you guys really just meet? So Joe, I barely made it out of high school. Selling was my way out of a pretty tough spot in my life. I also sold health club memberships. I also had a carpet cleaning business. I can get a stick of gum out of an office space landing like it's nobody's business. So and gum, you know, gum's a pain in the ass to get out of <laughs> <laughs> So uh, as you're telling your story, I wasn't going to interrupt, but I'm sitting there just smiling at the synchronicity there. By the way, I got to say something about carpet cleaning. I mean, you wouldn't uh, wear your underwear for six months without washing it. So people walk around <laughs> the carpet and, you know, and if you ever spill wax on the carpet, you can use a, you know, paper bag and you can use an iron and you can transfer the wax into the, I mean, you know, all this stuff if you had a carpet cleaning business. 
But yeah, I can start teaching people how to clean carpets here. I mean, screw all this marketing stuff. We can just talk about cleaning carpets. No. That's so great. Yeah, that's great. And you, yeah, also, we, we, right before we started recording, we spent a couple minutes talking and you talked about selling Cutco knives and everything. And so, absolutely. I mean, you, having to knock on doors and get rejected is a great lesson in having, you know, building, you know, the, the ability to not take it personally. Yeah, resilience. Yeah. So here's a couple of questions that came up for me as you were talking and you could pick any of them or pick none of them. I think our listeners are going to be happy, whatever you do here. So a couple of thoughts that I had is, you know, when you brought us back to your story and when I heard your story, I heard a couple of stages of Joe Polish's evolution. You know, the first stage of your evolution was there was something that happened where you were able to break through your addiction. And then the next stage is when you figured out your configuration of strengths to create value in the marketplace. I want to go back to just being able to break through addiction. And even if people are coming to this podcast and it's not because they're consciously thinking, I've got to figure out how to break through addiction. To me, I don't know if I have more respect for you know a personal transformation than the ability for somebody to turn things around. Because my imagination and life experience tells me that in that place you were at, I'll simplify it and say people are really only going to go one of two directions. They're going to spiral down and you spiraled upwards. And I'd love to know, you know, what's a core essential lesson that you learned? Because even if we didn't show up today thinking we're addicted, I would argue, I think I'm addicted to all sorts of things and not necessarily the things that we just think about. I think we live in a world today, people get addicted to distraction. They get addicted to whatever it is. And to me, overcoming addiction, it's the ultimate expression of being able to regain some sort of control of our internal world. So was there a tipping point for you or did it take years to see how or why you were able to get through that? Just curious what comes up when I ask that. You know, here, here's what I'll say. And, and it usually requires a longer sort of thing in order for me to set context because people will probably uh, judge what I'm saying with whatever perception will come to mind. But I'm very open about talking about stuff that I spent years uh, not talking about because I've realized more and more that you're as sick as your secrets. Hmm. And, uh, it, now, if you have hmm. a way to talk about it or understand it, then I would encourage people to be open about it. But there's a big difference between secrecy and privacy. So uh, hmm. what I'm about to say will be uh, quite shocking to some people uh, because of how open I can be about it. Um, and this is not encouraging other people to do the same thing. You have to be really prepared for uh, public disclosures because people will judge you. People will attack you. Uh, it, it could be damaging to certain sort of relationships and you have to understand what it is. So the reason that 12 Steps was an anonymous program is because the anonymity is what protected people. And when you're an addict, you're probably filled with a lot of shame, guilt, resentment, confusion. Uh, addicts don't uh, seek harmony. They seek chaos. There's uh, chemical addictions, which would be, you know, drugs, uh, alcohol, then there's uh, behavioral addictions, process addictions, and, and addiction can come in the form of uh, food, uh, gambling, internet, uh, sex, um, uh, achievement, uh, performance addiction. Uh, we live in the most addictive uh, culture ever in human history because electronics, uh, smartphones, staring at screens, uh, algorithms. I mean, we are being fed things like gaming in Las Vegas, where you know, it, it just literally can can be constant stimulation and dopamine hits. So uh, if people were watching this on Facebook Live as an example and hearts and likes, I mean, all of those things are 
selfies, you know, porn. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. So my addiction started with drugs. I got sober from drugs, but I had still not gone into uh, the core issues uh, uh, in the trauma, which caused the, uh, the the doing of drugs in the first place. So I'm one of these people that don't believe you cure addiction. I used to believe that addiction was a brain disease. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm more of the belief today that addiction is a response to trauma. So you know, one of my dear friends is uh, Gabor Mate, who's I consider one of the top addiction doctors in the world. You can watch his, his, his TED Talk, uh, Gabor, G-A-B-O-R, Mate, M-A-T-E. Uh, he's, I'm interviewing him live at my conference in two and a half weeks, which I will also be interviewing Tony Robbins. And I will also be interviewing Randy Zuckerberg, who's Mark Zuckerberg's sister. And we're going to Facebook live that. So, I mean, I, you know, I have high level people. This is the first time I've ever brought in addiction into a business conference because over the last couple of years, I started revealing things because I saw that we live in a world where all of this shit's going on and nobody talks about it at the, well, lots of people talk about it, but not a lot of people will talk about it in a way that I see making as big of a change as my impatient, frustrated self. And when I say frustrated self, there's a side of me that like people are dying. I mean, 69,000 people died of drug overdoses last year. Uh, 160 people a day are dying of drug overdoses. 475,000 people died from uh, cigarettes. The number one killer uh, is sugar. You know, it's, it's food. And then we have alcohol and then we have cigarettes and then we have opiates and all the kinds of different drugs. And most of the, the drugs that are killing people are legal, being prescribed uh, by, by doctors and pharmaceutical companies and stuff. So uh, what happened for me is I got clean and sober from drugs. The thing that made the biggest difference is exercise and working out and getting into a community. But what happened was I never knew how to do relationships well, uh, intimate relationships that involved sexuality. And let me define intimacy. You know, my favorite definition of intimacy uh, was taught to me, which is intimacy is a mutual exploration of a shared safe place. Abuse is anything that takes away the safe place and addictions are what we do to make ourselves feel good when we don't have a safe place. So I grew up not feeling safe. I felt abandoned when my mother died, although I never used that language until recently because I minimized it. Oh, you know, my mother died. Lots of people's parents died. But you know what? That was fucking painful to a four-year-old child. How does a child interpret that? So people that have divorces or they've had losses, you know, yeah, people can have worse. Someone, you, you know, you can break your ankle and then you can look at someone that has no legs or has broken both their legs and say, well, I only broke one leg, but it doesn't make your leg hurt any worse. I mean, you still have to deal with your own stuff. And so later in life, I, I literally had a deep sexual addiction because I, I was molested as a kid. I was paid money for it. And somewhere in my mind, I never saw a model of sex as an intimate act of love and oneness. I saw it as something shameful, something you do to get off. And so I didn't, so I still was male. I had these desires for sexuality, but I didn't know how to express them. And I had deep betrayals. I had one of the worst betrayals, the worst thing that ever happened in my adult life. I'm not going to go into it here just because I simply don't have enough time. But I had uh, I have one of the absolute worst betrayals. And one of the few things that made the pain go away was to go on higher escorts and to pay for sex and to sleep with lots of women. And I never talked about it, you know, and, and, and this happened when I started making money because I became a millionaire by the time I was 30 years old. Um, and I could kind of back up and fill in the middle parts if you would like to how I went about doing that. 
but basically, uh, I spent a, a, a long period of my adult life living like this with this shame. Now, thankfully, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, I am great friends with almost every uh girlfriend or woman I've had a relationship with in the last 17 years. And there's been quite a few. And many of them are actual friends with each other. I just didn't know how to do intimacy. Now, I'm known as this great connector, you know, because that's what most people ask me. How'd you meet Richard Branson? How do you meet all these people? You know, and all the, you know, they see me with all of these people that I know. Uh, So what it is, though, is I didn't know how to connect as a kid. I was very shy, I was very introverted. So I put a lot of effort and emphasis on how to do relationships, how to create value, how to be useful to people, how to really connect. And so now I'm, I made up for a lot of the stuff that I never had as a kid because that's what I, that's all I wanted. And so when I would go out and, you know, hire an escort, you know, and get involved in prostitution, I would be like, you know, I'm a piece of shit. I mean, who does something like this? I wasn't being abusive to, you know, who I was with. It's just in my mind, it was this deep shame because I'm like, you know, but looking back at it, you know, I just, I just simply wanted to connect, but I was, it didn't feel safe to connect when you're betrayed by somebody. So you get involved in very dysfunctional sort of relationships. Now, once I started talking about this, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, which is why I tried to preface it saying, I wish I could spend an hour just on this subject. If someone wants to understand sex addiction, they can go to uh, YouTube and they can type in my name and sex addiction. They can watch my interview with Pat Carnes, who's the top sex addiction doctor in the world who Mm. treats lots of well-known people and stuff. So, uh, you know, we have an hour and 45 minute video just on that subject that has been very useful to people. But I now have men and women all the time, many that are famous that hear me talk about this stuff. And they, you know, and so I, I talked to a lot of uh, billionaires and I talked to people that struggle with this uh, because it, addiction knows no socioeconomic, it's, it's young, old, you know, wealthy, poor. It, it doesn't much matter. Addiction is a solution. Uh, it, it, that's, that's hard for some people to wrap their head around, but if you're in pain, if you're in angst, uh, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get out of pain. There's nothing wrong with wanting to not be depressed or get out of a a crippling anxiety. The problem is the method you use to scratch the itch. Mm -hmm. So addiction actually works. If you're in like a halt state, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, drinking booze, taking drugs, going on the internet, watching porn, uh, gambling, you know, eating uh, fast food, uh, you know, guzzling, you know, a, a soda. I mean, those things, uh, you know, drinking 10 cups of coffee. I mean, all of these different things can satiate you when you're not feeling comfortable. But the question is, what are you trying to pursue? And so the opposite of addiction is connection. And so the more that you can connect with yourself, you know, Bill W., one of the founders of AA, and I I don't really care if someone's an atheist or whatever, uh, he had this great line where he's like, as alcoholics, we're trying to drink God out of a bottle. And Mm. so uh, people that are pursuing addiction are some of the most potentially spiritual people. And potential simply means you haven't done it yet. Uh, But they're trying to fill this void. So some people are trying to have, you know, call God, whatever you want to call it. They're trying to connect with a source through food, through sex, through drugs, through behavior, through Internet. And I mean, we live in a like most people. If you just look at airports, if you look at restaurants, if you look at your own behavior, if people like here's a phone. okay, here's here's an iPhone. And most people, if they're not within 10 feet of their phone, they think they've lost the limb. And when I was a little kid. 
I, I remember walking around, you know, in Alpine, Texas, which is a small town, by myself, miles away from anyone, with no communication access at all. And it kind of, I look around and say, most children will never have that experience. Mm. You know, no idea because they're constantly wired to their computers and many people are, ha- so when you say most, now, according to the Surgeon General Report, which came out last year, uh, they estimate that one out of seven people struggle with addiction in America, which is huge. Um, a lot of people struggle with addiction. A lot of people that pursue self-help and go to seminars are really addicts and they're trying to use empowerment and you know push their way through. And in reality, one of the best things with addiction is, is to surrender. And so to go back to your question, what did you do? I did a lot of shit. I did a lot of therapy. I went to a lot of 12-step meetings. I learned how to exercise. And what I've learned, uh, and, and if people really want to see kind of what I'm doing, uh, I'm launching a big platform next year, which we've started. One is Artists for Addicts. Artists, A-R, uh, like an artist, A-R-T-I-S-T-S. Artists with an S for, for addicts, A-I-C-T-S, artistsforaddicts.com. And uh, the second is genius recovery. And I'm using my marketing skills to help change the global conversation about how people view addicts with compassion instead of judgment. Because right now we're incarcerating many people that are simply traumatized individuals and you cannot punish the pain out of people. And it's, it's really, it's, it's the modern form of human slavery. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, now. in America, you know, 25% of the world's uh, prisoners are in America. We're the highest incarcerating country in the world. Uh, 2.3 million people are in prison in the U.S. right now, approximately. Uh, that's 0.91% of the U.S. population. So one out of 100 are incarcerated. And uh, about 4,750,000 people are on uh, probation or parole, which means when you walk around, you're looking at a lot of people that are quote-unquote criminals. And a lot of these people have done bad things. Addicts lie, they cheat, they steal, they do awful stuff. I understand all that. So none of this is to say, well, you know, if someone passes things and and abuses someone. But going to a lot of meetings, what I've learned is that give yourself some slack. Uh, Be gentle on yourself. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, Have empathy as much as you can develop it. And also be responsible. Be responsible for your own recovery. And so, you know, there's a lot to it. Uh, But genius... Uh, recovery.com. We have a whole bunch of videos. I have a great video with, you know, the comedian JP Sears, the redhead guy that uh, makes fun of spiritual people and everything. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. We did a very serious uh, interview that's on geniusrecovery.com sitting right where I'm sitting right now. Same background. This is, uh, I have a couple of homes, uh, but this is uh, one of my, my homes. And because uh, I couldn't make it to my office today in time based on the, the, the schedule that we had. So I'm just doing this uh, from sitting on a sofa in, in a house with not much behind me here. And me and JP sat down and did a Facebook live video to his list. Uh, 62,000 people watched it live. Now a hundred and something like 60,000 people have watched this video, but it's a very serious interview with me and him talking about addiction. So if people want to really hear, you know, different ways, but the, you know, the thing, there's four things that people need in order to really get sober and stay sober. The first is community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hardly anyone heals in isolation. So whatever community, 12-step community, some sort of community. That's why the Miracle Morning community, uh, you know, and we're we're working together, me and how we're doing, and a a woman named Anna David, we're doing a whole project on uh, Miracle Morning for addiction and recovery. Awesome. Yeah. So basically, 
uh, you need community. The second is it's biochemical. The uh, you know it's dopamine, it's serotonin, it's 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 happy chemicals. So if you don't eat healthy, if you don't fix the microbiome, if you have gut issues, most of the serotonin seventy percent is is made in the gut. So if you're eating crappy foods, if you're eating things that you know you're not able to process and digest. Your, your brain is not going to be in a, in, a, in a biochemical state. So you need good nutrition, supplementation in some cases, and just need to put good stuff in your body. The third is the issues are in the tissues. Uh, addiction is a response to trauma. And there's many things from kundalini yoga to regular yoga to float pods where you float in a big, you know, uh, isolation tank with salt water to EMDR to all various forms of things that can get you in a flow state. For some people, it's swimming, it's running, uh, it's surfing. It's something to just get the body working and also breathing. You know, a lot of people are like, why is that person smoking? That person is an idiot. Well, my father died from lung cancer uh, from smoking. And, you know, what people don't understand, and I hate cigarettes. I mean, I don't like cigarettes. I mean, they're toxic. Uh, but when people are smoking, they're breathing. And it's some of the few times that they're taking a very deep breath. So breathing and meditation are critical. And then the final thing is, uh, is environment. If you're in a continuously stressful environment or a stressful job and you don't get enough sleep, you're going to want pain relief. And so people will reach out for, you know, addictive behaviors and addictive substances because they simply are in an environment that is causing them stress. So you have to look at those things, community, biochemical, trauma, something that will, will help release the trauma, and uh, finally, the environment that you're in. And if you if you look at those things, and that's complex. So I've put a lot of videos out. With, that's what we're going to do with Genius Recovery. And most of it, I'm just going to make available for people for free. And Artists for Addicts is a platform where we're selling art and we're using revenue initially to make our first documentaries and just create the foundation so that we can go out and save lives. But ultimately what I want to do is use my marketing skills to uh, reduce human suffering and to uh, save lives because uh, so many people are living tormented lives. And just like I did with carpet, you know, my carpet cleaning business, I learned how to transform my carpet cleaning business. You know, let me totally switch gears here. I, you know, going back to, I had this carpet cleaning company. I pay a copywriter, $1,800 on a credit card because I didn't have any money. So I, I racked up about $30,000 in debt on a credit card and I paid him to write a consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. And this, this was before the internet even existed. And, uh, you know, so he, I created this, this selling tool uh, to try to figure out how to successfully sell something that nobody wants to buy. And so people are like, you know, carpet cleaning, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Well, if you have to figure out how to successfully sell something nobody wants, it actually forces you to become pretty damn good at marketing. And so uh, we wrote a consumer guide to carpet cleaning. It said, read this guide and discover seven questions. Ask a carpet cleaner before you invite them into your home. People didn't know there were seven questions or eight mistakes to avoid when choosing a carpet cleaner. Crawling critters and crud, a guide to the slime, grime, and livestock that's seeping, creeping, and galloping through your carpet. Uh, how to avoid four carpet cleaning ripoffs, the difference between value and price, you know, how to get your carpet cleaner to 100% guarantee the work. And then they would open it up and it said, dear homeowner, choosing a carpet cleaner isn't easy. Why? Because you're bombarded with confusing claims, simply bad information, 
near worthless methods, unqualified technicians. How do you ever find a qualified, competent carbon cleaner? You start by reading this guide. And with this information, you can make an informed, intelligent decision because nobody wants to make an uninformed, idiotic decision. They want to make hopefully an informed, intelligent decision. And so what I learned is that the number one question in all consumers' minds is who can you trust? And so your job as a business owner and a marketer and a salesperson is to establish trust and rapport. So they have trust with comfort. That's what rapport is. And basically... Uh, once I created this mechanism, this tool, when people would call me up and say, how much do you charge? Uh, I hated that. But, you know, it's like I'd spend all this time on the phone. Then half the time they say, well, let me talk to my husband or let me talk to my wife and I'll call you back. And sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't. But it would take a lot of time. And I realized you can be the best salesperson in the world, but you're limited by the clock. You can only talk to so many people in a given day. And you know that by doing door-to-door sales. But with the right ad, the right promotion, the, now today, the right you know, video, the right, you know, the right podcast you can talk to. I mean, today, as I'm sitting here talking to you, 40 to 50,000 people will listen uh, to me based on current stats uh, of me talking about something on one of my different podcasts. Cause I have four different podcasts on iTunes. You know, people type my name, they can find all the different stuff that I do in, in all kinds of different areas. And, and I'm not physically there. So I, you know, I'm able to can't. So going back to the carpet cleaning thing, I figured out how to do that with canning and cloning myself with a consumer awareness guide. And then when people started calling up, I said, well, I've created this consumer guide that will teach everything you need to know on how to hire a carpet cleaner. Let me mail it to you. And if you decide you want to do business with you, I'll include a, uh, I'll include a certificate where you will clean one room up to 200 square feet, absolutely free, no cost or obligation of any kind. And if you decide you want to do more, we'll give you a, what we call a carpet audit. So I invented a new way instead of giving a free quote or an estimate, I created a carpet audit where you could actually evaluate the condition of their carpet, giving them really good recommendations. And it was different than what everyone else was doing. So I wanted to differentiate myself. And so I started educate. I started using education-based marketing, but if people would call me up and say, well, I need the carpet clean tomorrow. And I was like, well, how do I overcome that one? Because again, there was no internet. So you couldn't email someone. You couldn't send them to a website. You couldn't send them to a social media page. So what I did was I created a, a consumer awareness message. And I started running as it said, uh, free recorded message reveals how to have your carpets clean properly at the lowest possible price. Not the lowest price, but how to have your carpets clean properly. And so, and, and I would have people call a free recorded message. We also had warning. Don't call any carpet cleaner to listen to this free recorded message. Call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you know, and I ended up creating a robot, an automatic automated system, which I now call elf marketing, easy, lucrative, and fun. So I had a 24 hour a day, seven day a week salesperson that cost me 20 bucks a month, never bitched about a headache, always showed up to work on time, always delivered the perfect articulate educational message. And literally it worked. And so I went from making $2,300 a month gross to over $12,000 a month in a six month period, not by learning any more about cleaning carpets, but by learning about words, by learning about psychology, by learning about messaging. And that's what marketing actually is. It's applied psychology. And so then I was like, so I became a convert of my own system, which I'll come back to addiction. Once I learned how to do things for myself in addiction and other people have learned things, I'm just a curator. All I'm doing is sharing it with people. Genius Network, which is my very high level group, you know, geniusnetwork.com. I'm a curator. I bring in people with capabilities and skills and expertise. And I've been doing that for many years. 
you know, it's a multi-million dollar company, you know, I've, I, but I've used, I've used these, now I'm connecting people with addiction, but it all goes back to connection. That's what the world really wants and needs, I think, uh, in, in a most beneficial way. And when I say the world, not the whole world shit, I mean, when I die, the world's going to be fine without me. So it's not like, oh, you know, I'm so perfect. I mean, it's, it's nothing to do with that. And my ego, uh, even though I, everyone has an ego, and I certainly do have an ego, uh, it's not contingent upon, I'm just going to make a dent. There's many people that are out there. I'm just trying to bring the, the ones that I interact with, the ones that I feel are great, and I'm just wanting to use my marketing skills. So in my carpet cleaning business, I became a convert of this system that I actually created. And I thought to myself, shit, man, how many other people could benefit from what I'm doing here? I wonder if it would work for other people. So I sold a couple of my strategies to some carpet cleaners. And one guy in, uh, in um, Broomfield, Colorado, named Don DeLue, in 1993, uh, he ended up, I sold him my Consumer Awareness Guide script. And he was getting ready to run a yellow page ad. Now, many of our listeners might be too young. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> but he was, he was, I got him to go from a half page phone book ad down to, in the Denver phone book, down to an ad smaller than the size of a business card. And uh, he, he paid $250 a month on this ad. And in a year's time, he generated over $62,000 in revenue in a carpet cleaning business off an ad that cost him 250 bucks a month. And I thought, you know what? I should probably package this stuff up and sell it to other carpet cleaners. And so what did I do? I used the same methodologies that I used to build my carpet cleaning business, direct response marketing, free recorded messages, sales letters, reports. And I advertised, you know, in, in a trade magazine, um, you know, in 1994 is when this started. I advertise, you know, call and request this free report. And I would send carpet and upholstery cleaners and people that were in the fire and flood business, uh, you know, information. And I sold a $497 package called a basic package and a $597 gold package. And then the first year that I was doing that, I sold a quarter million dollars worth of those courses to carpet cleaners. And even more important is it actually worked. I was changing people's businesses. I was getting people out of bankruptcy. Uh, in my life, I've gotten three letters from people saying, if it wasn't for your information, I would have committed suicide. I, I mean, I don't know if it had anything to do with my information or it just happened to land to them at the right time. But, you know, the weirdest shit happens when you can transform someone's uh, business and you can help them run a company because being an entrepreneur is difficult. Going back to, you know, what I said earlier from Dan Sullivan, two things you need is you need ignorance and courage. And I had plenty of those in the very beginning because if I would have known how hard it would have been to become successful. I probably would have stuck with being a loser. So, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of stuff that was difficult. So I started teaching that to other carpet cleaners. So the first year I sold a quarter million dollars worth of stuff. Second year I sold, um, you know, half a million. The third year I sold a million dollars worth of these courses and I was a millionaire by the time I was 30. Now here's the challenge. You know, you give someone who's an addict uh, access to money, money can buy a lot of things, Right. You know, I could try to buy myself out of pain. So what I ended up having to do, though, is I had to get uh, my heart broken. Uh, I had to really go through a lot of struggles and I had to uh, really come face to face with, uh, you know. So last thing I'll say is like unlearning is as important and in many cases more important. Mm. A lot of people, let me read this book. You know, a lot of times go to a 12 step meeting and unlearn the bullshit because your best thinking got you to where you're at right now. Mm. your best thinking got you where you're at, then you might need to do a little bit of different thinking. So I I transformed my carpet cleaning business. I transformed thousands, tens of thousands. I mean, from what we can even loosely track, you know, my 
marketing strategies for my clients have you know generated a couple billion dollars in revenue. Uh, so I've certainly have impacted a lot of people, but that's only that's only a smidgen of what I'm really hopefully here on the planet to do, which is to help people that are struggling with addiction. And uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are addicts because workaholism is the respectable addiction. Mm. And you know, so part of it is uh, you know meditate, exercise, do burpees in the morning, uh, develop communities, uh, sleep. Uh, those things will help you just as much with achieving goals and building and growing a business. And if you're really in pain and you're, you're really compulsive and you have behaviors that make your life unmanageable, uh, rotting food doesn't get better uh, in the refrigerator with age. It gets worse. And so look at any area of your life. Be willing to destroy anything in your life that's not excellent. Be willing to walk away from relationships if you cannot fix them. And uh, be nice to the people you meet on the way up because they're the same people you meet on the way down. You know, don't be an asshole. Uh, do your best you can to just uh, add value. Uh, you're not entitled to anything unless you create value first. So there's there's a lot to it. So those, you know, that's just, those are my thoughts. That's kind of my philosophy about stuff. Well, Joe, there's folks watching our live stream who've posted some comments that are uh, thanking you for the generosity of your story and your time. And so on their behalf and on behalf of everyone that's going to hear this after the live stream, you know, I, I'm listening and just enjoying being present to your story. And what I hear, of course, others will hear more or something different or beyond it, but I hear a tremendous authenticity. I hear somebody who, what I really appreciate is that you've really taken the time to think about your own internal narrative about your own life story. That story is not running you. You're really aware of what your story is about your life. And we dropped an episode today or yesterday where I reminded people about the hero's journey and to realize that they're all on a journey. And sometimes just understanding that narrative can give them the patience to stick through something. I also really appreciate your deep sense of purpose. You know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast, Joe, and, and you may or may not know this, but Hal and I, and I especially, since I've been standing in for him while he's healing, you know, I just spew out my beliefs and biases and everybody knows that I really believe that entrepreneurs are going to solve the most important problems in the world. And yeah, and our world has a to-do list. And I really believe that if we can keep aligning our strengths, which is another thing that you're so clear on is how important it is. You know, we can believe, we can have desire, we can work on ourselves, but we have to have value creating strengths or unique configurations of strengths that create a real difference for something to really work. And uh, I love that we're here with you today and that of your choosing, you're emphasizing to put your in time into helping us to learn about your passion to help the mental and emotional and psychological well-being of entrepreneurs. It's so awesome. And just a reminder, because a few people were asking and reminding themselves on our live stream, Joe's going to be with us at our Entrepreneur Day at the Best Year Ever event, November 17, 18, 19, bestyeareverlive.com. Hey, I'm going to finish with my favorite question. Is there anything else that you'd love to leave our listeners with? You know, today is the last day of the way you used to be, if you want to choose that. And every passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. So, you know, think of the people that are the most important in your life. In your case, I'm sure your daughter uh, would be up there and probably uh, on the top uh, one or two, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, think of the people that really move the dial for you, what's most important to you, and take care of those people. I mean, what I call a genius network is who are the most important people in your life, what are their skills, what are their capabilities. And the way that I've gotten anything that I want is I never ask anyone to do anything for me without uh, creating 
uh, value for them first. So uh, be a giver, not a taker. Life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. Just be intelligent about not wasting your time with people that don't appreciate you, don't utilize you, don't uh, enhance you. And doing good work is harder than doing, you know, my friend Dave Kekich says, life is easy if you live it the hard way and hard if you live it the easy way. It's hard to work out. It's hard to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Uh, but if you do those things, your life will be far easier. And if you just sit on a couch, if you eat, it's easier to eat pizza than it is to eat some sort of healthier food. Um, but if you eat pizza every day, you're going to pay consequences for it. And silent battles are the hardest battles to fight. So if you're fighting silent battles, go find someone that you can help with and, and don't do it alone. And I just wish everyone the best. And I, I look forward to uh, meeting the people that are going to be at the thing in person. And uh, hopefully this was valuable to everyone. And uh, thank you. It was really great to spend this time with you, John, and to talk with you and uh, go, go pick up your daughter. And thanks. Hey. I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks. Those of you who are on the live stream, take care. Podcast listeners, we'll see you next week. Joe, thanks, buddy. This has been awesome. You got it. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 